0: telehealth. It is mentioned in every conversation about modern healthcare, especially in the context of the pandemic. Nationally, use of telehealth has stabilized at 38 times the rate of pre-pandemic levels. The field of mental health, a natural fit for the platform, has particularly benefited, with 50% of all psychology claims and 30% of all substance use services being handled by telehealth.
1: Well, for the for the treatment of substance use disorder, Jeremy telehealth has has been a it's been a blessing really.
0: I spoke with Dr. Lloyd, Chief Medical Officer of Cedar Recovery, about how telehealth, and in particular the ability to start prescribing with just a telehealth visit, has impacted the field of addiction medicine. In the summer of twenty twenty, several executive orders and robust special session legislation significantly expanded what can be allowed on telehealth psychologists and addiction counselors were finally allowed to get paid for using telehealth and reimbursement parity was codified. In other words, all types of clinicians could finally use telehealth and they had to be paid by insurers at the same rate as an in-person visit. One big change, however, and one in which addiction specialists like Dr. Stephen Lloyd say have been a long time coming, was the new ability to start prescribing medications for opioid use disorder, known as MOUD, with just a telehealth visit. We spoke both by phone and in person on site at his clinic in Cock County.
2: I'm a huge proponent of telehealth simply because it greatly increases access to care. Uh, In rural areas, coming out of emergency departments, coming out of jails, coming out of hospitals, we can now do an evaluation in the moment with medication in people's hands immediately. And that saves
0: lives, no question. Skeptics of telehealth sometimes claim that such a visit isn't enough to get an in-depth evaluation, but Dr. Lloyd disagrees. I can, I can do
1: an in-depth evaluation using telehealth just like I can in the office.
0: Besides, often he's not even the only doctor involved.
1: Used to, we never got a patient out of the emergency department or hospital. So you go out, you overdose, you get reversed, you get taken into the emergency department. They only keep you for two hours and turn you loose with a meeting list for AA. Right? I mean, that, right. that's what happens. I promise you that's what happens. So yeah. now with telehealth uh you know you you do that and, and if you're interested in any kind of ho- help at all and a lot of people you know are at a very vulnerable time you know hey i just died maybe i need to do something different we're able to utilize telehealth there and so we now have four hospitals here in middle tennessee that we do telehealth straight out of the emergency departments and then on the hospital service if you go in and you've overdosed or you've got a you know a, a, an infection that's related to your uh you know to your substance use disorder then, you know, we can do telehealth, evaluate the patient in the hospital, you know, using technology. We call them their, their D10 machines, but basically a, a computer screen on wheels. And we right. can help the uh, hospitalists go ahead and initiate buprenorphine because a lot of them aren't comfortable and don't understand the dosing. But, but it doesn't take them very long when they see how, you know, see how, how quickly people get better. And then now we've got them established, uh, you know, while they're still in the hospital so that when they come out, we don't lose track of them.
0: Recent studies have shown that patients are much more likely to stay in long-term recovery if they start medication-assisted treatment right there in the ER, as opposed to simply relying on a referral list. Telehealth is thus making this much, much easier. But what makes this issue controversial are the medications themselves. Critics often say it's switching one drug for another. But that view doesn't take fully into consideration the dramatic impact on death rates, known as mortality. The biggest
2: benefit of MOUD is a reduction in mortality. Uh, Basically, two two of the medications, any of the buprenorphine-based products or methadone, have a mortality benefit of anywhere from 50 to 70 percent.
0: A mortality benefit of 50 percent means that half of those who would have otherwise died stayed alive. A lot of folks uh, you know,
2: push the virtues of naltrexone, which I love as well. Uh, Vivitrol in the right patients works, works really, really well. It's the only one of the three drugs that has not shown a mortality benefit, uh, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have any utility because it does. Um, it is more popular because it is... Uh, not an opioid, and so people look at it and says, "Well, you're switching one drug for another." But with naltrexone, you're not doing that, and uh, uh, so there's a lot of stigmatizing language in that. As you know, it's just incredible uh, that that that's what people will get hung up on. Uh, you know, I, I have, Jimmy, I've never figured out a way to treat dead people, and if we had a if we had a a drug that could could you know cut mortality by 50 to 70 percent, I think everybody would be in favor of it for about every disease condition we can think of. If I had a drug that came out today for cardiovascular disease that cut mortality by 50%, um, I wouldn't have to work anymore, uh, for sure. And if you didn't have your patient on it, uh, you could be sued for malpractice. Yet we have two of those drugs in addiction medicine, and we get people who have little to no medical training, and just because they might happen to be in recovery themselves or work in the field, they don't believe in medication, and therefore they won't even offer, or they will stigmatize their patient for being on it. Uh, and there's a lot wrong with that. Uh, not the least of which is a lot of these folks do not have a license to practice medicine, and they're making medical decisions. They're not only making medical decisions. I mean, we're not talking about you know the decision whether or not to use alcohol or peroxide to cut you know clean a scrape. We're talking about a medication that has the potential to save someone's life. And if you use the, you know, the converse of that is that, that if you withhold the medication, you could kill them, right? I mean, it bugs me to no end, and I can't believe the fight that goes on around this because so many people believe that the only path to recovery is the one that was right for them or the one they were trained in, and I could
0: not disagree with that more. Not every patient's path to recovery will look exactly like another's. But considering the skyrocketing overdose death rates, there were over 100,000 last year. One of the most urgent needs in addiction medicine is preventing accidental death.
1: The most important thing you can do for somebody with opioid use disorders is get medication in their hand
0: right off the bat.
1: Now, once you do that and you evaluate them, now you can figure out a proper, proper treatment plan or a proper course of care for the you know, proper
0: level of care that they need. For many, this means eventually coming off of MOUDs, but but we
1: have a way to get medication in people's hands in real time and save their life. And 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 I know that you you know you know Judge Sloan and 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 you know what we've been able to do in the in the jails. Uh, you know we've got one jail program in Jefferson County that, I mean heck, Jeremy, it exists solely because telehealth is allowed because I can evaluate a patient in intake after they get incarcerated. Uh, From a room where it's just me and and them, I can prescribe medication. The jailer goes and gets the medication. They initiate it while the patient's behind bars. They get it the whole time behind bars, and when they walk out of that jail, they're in my office.
0: When a person is released from jail, especially if they are beginning to suffer withdrawals, they are in one of the most dangerous periods of their life, as their chance of accidental overdose is at an all-time high. This typically happens when a person tries to return to their prior dose, but because their tolerance has reduced they are much more likely to take too much. This MOUD in jail program, which we will discuss in detail in our next episode, is the first of its kind in Tennessee, though it is modeled on other similar programs in other states. Nevertheless, this program was made possible because of these telehealth permissions. And furthermore, it wasn't the only surprise benefit to come from telehealth.
1: And here's an unexpected boom for me was, I get to see people in their environment. And, you know, I talk about this a lot. If you come, if you go see your doctor, there's a really good chance that you, you know, you put on a face, right? You you do certain mm-hmm. things before you go into an office and sit in a waiting room and see your doctor. And now with telehealth, you know, we're in people's environments. And uh, so I got to I got to watch this unfold in, in COVID because I went from, you know, seeing somebody in their home, whether it be a house or an apartment or Condo or trailer, whatever it was, and you get to see what's going on in their life, right? Chaos in the background, you know what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But then, as the pandemic unfolded, and and you know, folks got marginalized, lost jobs, you could see a step down, right? To go from houses and, and and apartments to motel rooms, to cars, and then and then sometimes to the street, and and that's just not things that people are, you know, are very comfortable you know, bringing out in a doctor visit, but, but I could physically see it. So for me, those are the really big things.
0: So overall, telehealth has opened the door to an entirely new treatment paradigm, which greatly expands access to care, especially in rural areas.
1: You know, we have patients, and you know the field that we work in, that have driver's license issues or have ride issues. Mm-hmm. Well, We've basically solved that, right? And, and so the, the other thing is, is that, you know, so many pharmacies deliver medication now. And so it's actually possible right. to see a patient via telehealth and have medication sent straight to someone's house, and then the only thing that they're coming into the office for is a contactless drug screen, depending on their phase of treatment. And and when I say telehealth, Jeremy, we do everything. We can do everything telehealth. We do individual therapy. Uh, we do. We've done EMDR, you know, which is a treatment for trauma using telehealth, and and of course group mm-hmm. therapy. So uh, it, there's there's so many pluses to it, but but. But I, I would hate to see us get away from personal interactions with patients when when we can.
0: That isn't to say that telehealth is a panacea. However,
1: now here, here's where I have a have a problem. All, the opposite of addiction is not recovery, right? The opposite of addiction is community and relationship, and and I and I think that most of us work in this field. We understand that. And so if that is the, if that is the long-term answer, now, now you take a population who that's a long-term answer, and you say, hey, you've got to isolate, <laughs> right? So we, we right. took away the long-term answer. And, 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 you know, now as we go forward, you know, what's the mix of telehealth and in-person that works best? Uh, and, and I know your generation differ different from mine, but I still believe that, that, you know, you and I have a better relationship when we're sitting in the same room. Right, Whenever we're right. talking face-to-face, human interaction, the computer is a really good substitute. The technology is really good now. But, but still, there needs to be that direction. So there are things that you pick up on in a in a face-to-face interaction that you want over a, a telehealth screen as well. So I think there's a mix in there because I've seen these companies come out and go strictly telehealth and know we can establish a relationship just as good with our patient using 100% this, and I just don't believe that. And the other thing is there's rural areas. Right. I mean, I'm in, I'm in, you know, Metro Nashville, and then in East Tennessee, you know, uh, even in Metro Nashville, our, our, a lot of our patients are in outlying counties, and so right. we can actually reach them, uh, you know, basically anywhere they are. Uh, but I'll tell you an interesting thing we ran into, with some of the rural areas and broadband, right, it's, it's what we right. talk about in our smart policy group, right? So so that's why some of the stuff you guys are working on are so important, because, if you get out in some of these some of these counties, they don't have broadband. And so what was our solution there? And that's where I thank God uh, for places uh, like Dollar General, uh, McDonald's. You know, we, we found that we, there's actually apps that show you where free Wi-Fi is. And these places that offered free Wi-Fi were really a help in, in rural communities because we could get people there and then, you know, take care of them from that distance, maybe not from their home, but from the parking lot of a business that offered free Wi-Fi.
0: Well, COVID definitely sped up the widespread adoption of telehealth.
1: Uh, COVID probably sped up the process by five years, but we had to have our patients have access. And so we actually made the decision to do everything, move straight online before any of that stuff was passed. Emergency orders were handed down.
0: The early days of the pandemic were filled with so much uncertainty that clinics like Cedar Recovery had to innovate and rapidly. But this presented its own challenges, demonstrating that making the switch to telehealth is itself a challenge.
1: You know, Jeremy, we didn't, you know, I'm 55. I'm, I'm I'm fairly decent with tech, so, but not great. And so we had to, you know, and, and most of our docs are older than me. And so we had to, in that time span, teach them how to use, uh, you know, the HIPAA-compliant technology that we're going to use. And then the challenges were, you know, can our patients use this stuff? Can we teach them how to use it? And, and we just got to work, you know, and, and figured out how we were going to teach them how to do it. Uh you know when i can't tell you how many instructional little short videos we made and sent to people's phones you know to show them how to download the thing it was just amazing but really you know thanks to a bunch of really young bright people that worked with us so you know the challenges were were really there it was it was a real challenge but our you know our patients did really well our number of patients we got went up by about 30% particularly in those first few months so we had a, a steep increase Um, And, you know, it leveled off, but it it continued to rise and still does to this day throughout the pandemic. So all of that came about by by the expanded permission of of telehealth. And I hope it doesn't go away. And I really don't see how it can. Uh, You know, you you know, in the last calendar year, we had over 100,000 overdose deaths in in, in the United States. And in in our state, Tennessee, we're up by about 40 percent. So hopefully uh, it'll continue like it is now.
0: Senate Bill 2453 which extends the COVID-era telehealth permissions indefinitely, was signed into law on April 1st of this year. However, the ability to prescribe medications is still dependent on a pre-COVID requirement for an in-person visit. The law states that as long as there is a state of emergency, which is currently the case in Tennessee, then an in-person visit is not required to start prescribing remotely. But with COVID entering the rearview mirror, it is unclear how much longer that state of emergency is going to last. And if that is removed, then patients will again have to have an in-person visit prior to the initiation of online prescribing, which puts us back to where people were before the pandemic.
2: You know, Oh, uh, my patient here, Sarah. Uh, we'll finish on that note. So Sarah comes in today. It's her six-month follow-up. I showed her her picture when she came in. She's, she's put on about 15 or 20 pounds and looks great. And uh, she gave me this. I took a picture of it. You know what that is uh, she got a driver's license. It's, it's the first valid Tennessee driver's license she's had in 12 years okay. so while all the other stuff bites ass that's good right <laughs> that's good yeah she's like I don't have to worry about getting pulled over for a taillight I said I she goes I've been a scofflaw I had to look that up uh so uh she's been driving illegally uh for some time so good stuff
0: happens uh thank y'all for coming up For more episodes on issues pertaining to substance use disorder, such as criminal justice reform, stigma, harm reduction, and more, please subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts and visit our website at smart.tennessee.edu. Thank you. I'm Jeremy Corvellis. Thank you for listening and see you next month.